0: Father, would you glorify your name through us? We know the only way that you will glorify your name through us is if we receive the name of Jesus. And so, Lord, open our eyes this morning to see afresh and anew the glory of your Son, the only begotten, fully God and fully man, our Lord, our Savior, our Shepherd, our Priest, our King, our friend, our brother, our hope, our Messiah. All these things, they're all found in Him. Remind us of that this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So turn, if you would, in your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 9 through 13 this morning. So up until this point, we have been mainly overwhelmed with the divinity, the divinity of the Word. He was with God and he was God. He exists in himself. In other words, he can say, I am who I am. He created all things, all life. He is the light in the darkness of this world. And so we, we've talked about about how John starts his gospel this way to make it clear that Jesus is the eternal Son of God and he is the great hope of the whole world. He is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He is God himself and he must be. And John starts it this way to make it so clear this is who Jesus was, but that's not all that Jesus was, and it can't be all that Jesus was. So, just a few hundred years after John was written, there was a man named Athanasius. Athanasius served as an assistant to a bishop in North Africa. And at the same time that he was serving there in North Africa, there was a priest who was also serving the same bishop. He was from Libya, and his name was Arius. And so, Arius begin to teach and argue that the Son of God must have had a beginning. He must have had a beginning. This is what he said. He said, if the Father begat the Son, then he was begotten. He had a beginning in existence. And from this it follows that there was a time when the Son was not. There was a time when the Son was not. Not. So we've said here, looking at John's prologue, that John is saying that the Word has always existed. But Arius is arguing that the Word, the Son, was another created being. Now, was he powerful? Absolutely. Was he godlike? Absolutely. But what Arius argued was that the Son was different in essence. From the Father. So, in his essential nature, right? So, in in, in who he was at the core, the Son was different than the Father. The Father was eternal. The Father had always existed. The Son was like that, but he wasn't exactly that. So, he was similar, but he wasn't exactly the same. And now, That's a huge deal. If you didn't know, that's a huge deal. And so that idea, though, it caught on. Arius was a powerful preacher. Arius was a powerful teacher. He was also just a brilliant organizer, and he was brilliant at, at, at convincing people. So when the bishop of Alexandria, whose name was Alexander, I mean, how catchy is that, Alexander of Alexandria, he attempts to call a council In order to, to squash this idea that Arius has been preaching. And what did Arius do? Well, Arius, what he did was he organized like actual riots in Alexandria. He, he organized riots and, and he, and he swayed people to come out and, and, and they would, they would come out and they'd be singing songs. And in fact, they had a song that the, the tune, the, the lines for the song was, there was a time when the sun was not. And, and his goal was to intimidate those who, who would have followed Alexander of Alexandria and stand against him. And so what happened was Arius' view was actually the dominant view for, for decades and decades in the Christian world. And, 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 and the Christian world and, and Rome at large was, was actually in a, in a pretty big uproar uh, over this. The, the emperors ultimately had to step in because you had, you had priests and you had bishops that were, were, were getting a little bit feisty uh, uh, about this. In fact, Athanasius would be exiled five different times in his 45 years of ministry. He spent 17 of his 45 years of ministry in exile over this issue. He would not go along with the idea that there was a time when the sun was not. This was the mainstream theology of the day. This is what churches uh, were teaching. This is what pastors were preaching, and most people were happy to go along with it. But Athanasius refused, and he was outspoken about it. Why? That's what we want to ask today. We want to ask, why was Athanasius so outspoken about this? Because he saw this was not something that we can just disagree on. This was not like some theological issues that we can can just agree to disagree. Athanasius understood that if you say Jesus was another created being, then salvation itself is at stake. Salvation itself. We're going to be talking today about how we have the right to become children of God. Athanasius understood that if you argue that Jesus was another created being was not God himself then you don't have the right to become children of God he must be more than that there's a principle that we have to see now before we look at the passage today because because like I said we're about to see that this word this light the sun, he was able to give people the right to become children of God How is he able to do that? This is what Athanasius fought for his whole life. The principle is this. Only one who was fully human could atone for human sin. Only one who was fully divine could have the power to save us. Only one who was fully human could atone for human sin. Only one who was fully divine would have the power to save us from sin and death. So this split the church in the 300s, again, not very long after John wrote his gospel here. Ultimately, however, ultimately, the view that Jesus was a created being instead of eternal and divine, that was labeled a heresy, rightly so. Heresy is is a belief that destroys the gospel, that, 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 that destroys salvation as it's laid out in Scripture. And so we come to our passage today. Why does knowing the story of Athanasius and Arius, Arius help us? Because up until now, we've been emphasizing that the Word is divine. The Word is God. He is eternal. He created all things. But now, the light of the world, that true light, is coming into the world. And so now we have to think about how does this divine God come into the world. Next week we'll get to the famous passage right the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But we want to begin to think about that this week. We have to be careful here. We have to understand what it is that God's doing that the word came as a man, and not just as a man, but as an Israelite man. And John is going to say that this man has the ability to give the people the right, the authority to become God's own children. That that is a statement, the right to become God's own children. Think about this for a minute with me. That is a statement that our entire worldview is built on. You and I, we're only here this morning because we believe that God has given us the right to become his children. That's a bedrock statement of our worldview, isn't it? If that statements not true then there is no reason for you and I to be here this morning and there's no reason for you and I to live the way that we live we base our whole entire life on the belief that God has given us the right to be his children And so we have to think about that carefully. We have to think about how did God do that? How how do we know that God was capable of doing that? That's what we're going to begin to look at this morning. As we look beginning in verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay, so we had this amazing picture of the word being the light of men. Now we see that the light was coming into the world. That that is an amazing statement, isn't it? John spells it out. The light was in the world. The light was made through him, so that light, the light that made the world, he came into the world. That's who we're talking about here. You know, Jesus is amazing. Sometimes I struggle. Sometimes I get, I get down. And you, you know what's funny? Sometimes, I was thinking about this this week, sometimes I can get down, get discouraged, feel overwhelmed, even when I'm thinking about all the great things that are happening in my life. You know, I love our church here so much. Uh, you yeah, know, I, I think about the people here, and, and, and God has, has blessed me as a pastor with wonderful, supportive people who, who love the Word. I mean, you guys all have faults. You all have sins. I know that. But we have a sweet fellowship. You know, we, we just established elders here, Bob and Lee are, are phenomenal men who, who, who love the Lord, they love His Word, and they love all of you deeply. But you know, the mind is a funny thing, isn't it? You, you can be thinking about how God has done so many good things and how, how good things are going, and before you know it, you start worrying, well, how long is that going to last? I mean, if this family leaves, or or if we can't meet at Deer Run, or or if we don't raise up more men in the future to be leaders, if we don't raise raise up and equip the women in our church to be lights where they are, if, if we're not investing in our children, you know, what if all of this just falls apart in a few years? You know, a, a pastor I know just broke his back and lost the use of his legs. I mean, what if that happens? You know, what what do I need to be doing? To make sure those things don't happen. Do we we need more visiting? Do we need more teaching? Do we need more counseling? Do you know this cycle? Are you familiar with this cycle? Parents, have you hopped into this cycle with with, with your children? All the things that can go wrong, they begin to swirl in your heads. Things are actually going great, (laughs) but not in your head they're not. In your head, you know, you're just one step away. From disaster I, I'm talking to young people who have their whole lives in front of them and they're stressing out about what to do right now you know and I'm thinking oh my goodness you, you've got years upon years anything I've got to figure this out today I should have figured it out last week things are actually going really well you know but we think about think about our kids you know what if they reject our teaching you know what what if I lose my job what if the economy tanks? You know, we're just, we're one step away from despair. And and do you know what happens? This kind of thinking, do you know where it inevitably leads us to, besides just freaking out and besides just anxiety and, 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 and sleepless nights, usually what it leads to is it leads to us going, how can I get control of this? What do I need to be doing to protect myself from that? What do I need to be doing to, to, to make sure this never happens? What do I need to do here? What can I start doing there? I need to do more over here. You know, I need to take, do you catch the theme here? I, 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 I was there this week for a minute. And, and that kind of thinking, it, just, it never leaves you satisfied, does it? Because as soon as you think, okay, I'll start doing this and that'll take care of that, all of a sudden you're like, oh wait, but I gotta start doing that to take care of this. And, and before you know it, we're, we're just overwhelmed. And this, this week I was there and, and I stopped. And I, had, I just I had to remind myself, I was like, I'm not even thinking about Jesus. I'm not even thinking that Jesus is the Lord of his church. He, he, he is the Lord He's on his throne. The psalmist Asaph tells us at one point that he had nearly slipped. He'd almost stumbled. And and when he says that, he's speaking of what's going on in his mind. He's speaking of of how he was was thinking about others and and what was happening in his thoughts. And there, in his thoughts, he says, "I, I nearly slipped. I almost stumbled. And then he says, but I went to the temple of the Lord. We need to remind ourselves of who God is. Jesus is wonderful. This church is not mine. This church is not yours. It's not the elders. It's Christ's church. My life is not mine. It's Christ's. Your life is not yours. It's Christ. He's there. He is our shepherd. He's our brother. He's our friend. He's our anchor. He's our rock. He's with us. He's all of those things. John has reminded us, don't you know who Christ is? Don't you know who Jesus is that you say you worship? He's the Word. You and I are breathing at this very second because of Jesus allowing us to breathe. And so I I stop and I think about that and and a burden just comes off my shoulders in that moment when I remember that truth. Just, just stopping and thinking of who Jesus is and, and reminding yourself of what the scriptures say about Jesus, does that lift a, a burden off of your shoulders? I hope it does. Because we're meant to look at him. We're meant to look at him. He is the light in the darkness. When we're in the middle of darkness, we need his light. And there's just such a sense of relief when you stop and you go, oh my gosh, Kevin, you are just relying entirely on yourself, aren't you? And you can't control any of this, can you? But he can, and he will, and he's promised you that there is nothing that can separate you from his love. There's such a relief in that. And so in that moment, when I feel that relief, I go, oh, this is the Jesus I worship. I cannot imagine rejecting that. I cannot imagine rejecting Jesus, the Lord, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the Savior, but that's exactly what happened when he came. It's the first major thing we want to look at here, the rejection of the light, the rejection of the light. John tells us he came into the world and the world did not know him. Well, that's one thing, right? The world did not know him. Well, the world's covered in darkness. The world has been covered in darkness since Adam and Eve. You wouldn't expect the world to know the Messiah. But what about this? He came to his own and his own people, Did not receive him. Jesus came to his own people. You know, you might translate that phrase, he came to his own, as he came home. There's levels of meaning here to what John is saying. The Jews were his own people because, one, he created them. Two, they were chosen or elected out of all the nations of the earth to be God's people. Three, He was in covenant with them. He had made covenants with these people. And for when Jesus actually came as a man, he came as a Jewish man. They were actually his people by blood. So in every way here, you have this picture of the light of the world coming to his own. To his people, their Messiah. Kevin DeYoung said, Jesus was not just a prophet, but the fulfillment of all prophecy. He was the fulfillment of all prophecy. He was their Messiah. He was their anointed one. He was their servant of the Lord. He was all those things. He was their king. He was a priest. He was their great sacrifice. Everything that ties in with God's people, there's Jesus. And he's come to them. But honestly, we can't really be surprised, can we? We can't be surprised at this rejection, not if you know the Old Testament, because the story of Israel is a story where they constantly wander away. It's a story where they constantly reject God. It's a story of them constantly denying and rejecting what's obvious, what's right in front of their faces. They have the ability to see the Red Sea parted and to see plagues. They have the ability to see bread raining from heaven and water coming out of rocks and then forgetting all about God. We've seen it over and over and over again with Israel. So we should not be surprised that when the light comes, they are given all that they could ever want and they turn away from it. It's the story of the prodigal son. They were given all that they could ever want. And they've turned away from it. And so here, at this pivotal moment in their history, the moment that all of their holy writings have pointed to from the very beginning, they fail. And there's a reason for that too. They fail for the exact reason that Jesus came Their rejection of the word, their rejection of the light, is exactly why the light had to come. We're not able to redeem ourselves. This is the very picture of blindness, isn't it? The light is right in front of them, and they can't see it. They can't recognize it. They don't know what they're looking at. It's the very picture of blindness. It's the very reason Jesus had to come. If, if you think, if you have a, a thought at all in your head that you know, I wouldn't miss that, if you, you think that's just people are not blind. Look at Israel when Jesus comes. commentators have pointed out that this phrase about him coming to his own and them not receiving him this could actually be the theme of the first 11 chapters of John's gospel as the Jews continually misunderstand him and as so many of them continually reject him but that's only half the story isn't it they rejected him they rejected the light but but then we have our second major point here those who receive the light receive the light But, that's a great word, isn't it? But. There's bad news, but then there's really good news. There's darkness, but then there's light. There's rejection, but then there's also a beautiful reception. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, this is great news for you and me today. This is the best news possible. The Jews rejected the word when he came so that you and I as Gentiles would be able to come to the word and be given life. So there's the brokenness here of rejection, but then it's followed here by this gift of complete acceptance. Not partial acceptance, but complete acceptance from God. The right to become children of God. Complete acceptance. That's what God is offering. Not partial acceptance. Not holding you at arm's length. But the right to become His children. And it's all of God's doing. We're going to see this even more clearly later in John. But we can't even boast in the fact that we received Him. We can't even boast in the fact that we believed in His name. Of course, we must do that. You must receive Him. You must see Jesus and you must believe in His name. You know, that, that word for believing in His name. That's everything that He is. That's His essence. That's His character. That, that's all that He is. We, we must do that. But that's not the focus here. The focus here is on what the Word is doing when He comes. John brings up the picture of being born here. What a powerful picture, being born that's how you're made a child, isn't it? you got to be born. If you want to be a child, you had to be born. Those who are born, they can't boast in that, can they? Focus here is on what God did, and I want us to break it down. First, God gave. God gave. This was not something that could be earned. It wasn't something that we could get for ourselves. We have to simply receive it. You can't take it. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can only receive it. You might hope somebody's going to give you a gift, but they don't. You know, a teenager. A teenager might hope that the par- his parents are going to give him a car, but they don't. Well, what can he do? Well, he can save up and he can buy that for himself, can't he? But not this. There is only one being Who has the power to give this gift? Only one being has the power and the ability to make anybody a child of God. And that's God Himself. Only He can make His children. No one else is capable of making His children. So God gave. We could sit on that for a long time. God gave. Do you think that you must earn salvation? Do do, do you think that it's, it's your inherent right from God to be given salvation? No. The first thing John says is that it was God who gave. It's free. You can't earn it. You can receive it, though. You can receive it. I know a lot of people who have a really hard time accepting things that are free. You know, it's funny, we, we give people a hard time because like, oh man, that person always accepts things that are free. But the reality is I know a lot of people who are almost incapable Of receiving things that are free. Something in them, some pride that won't allow them to receive the gift. We have to humble ourselves though before God. There is nothing you can give Him in return for this gift. He gave the right. That's the second thing. The right God gave the right. Notice that. He didn't give the power to become children of God. He didn't give the ability to become children of God. He gave the right. This is a word that implies status, right? This this is not a word that implies your ability. This is a word that implies your status. You now have a right as his child. Again, the way it's phrased, it highlights our complete inability. It it, it, it highlights God's absolute ability. He he gave you a status, He gave you the right to be children. And that's the third thing He gave you the right to become children of His. Again, complete acceptance. This is what God promised to His people, isn't it? This is what God promised to Israel to, to become His children. And, and only He could do this. Again, this, He's going to go into this picture of birth. You, you don't choose the family that you're born into. You, you don't choose who your parents are. You don't choose who gives birth to you. John's being very intentional here. God. God is the one who makes you His child. Because he's the only one who can. This this isn't this is, isn't even a, a partnership between us and God. It, it's all of God. It's all of God. John says, "Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." Now, some of you may read that and you, you you may think. You you know what John is saying here. And on the surface, we might look at this and we might want to immediately jump to some theological truths behind each one of these statements here. uh, uh, Will of the flesh and the will of man. We might want to emphasize God's will over man's will here. But actually, what's being said here by John is a little more simple than that. This is a careful way to say, maybe John is thinking of the kids in the room, this is a careful way to say the birth of a child of God, is not like a human birth. So there's three things here as well. One, it's not of blood. So that should be pretty obvious to us. This is not. Doesn't matter who your genealogy is. Doesn't matter who your parents are. Doesn't matter where your family comes from. Doesn't matter who you use, who your family is. None of that matters. Doesn't matter what nation you're a part of. It's not of your genealogy. You can't boast. In who you are. Jews are not able to boast in who they are when it comes to this birth, this second birth. Your physical heritage doesn't make you a child of God. Kids, kids, just because your parents are children of God doesn't automatically mean that you are. No, you must receive Jesus, you must believe in his name. Just because parents do doesn't automatically mean that you do. No, you have to say, who is Jesus? And you have to receive him and you have to believe in his name. So, not of blood, but then too, he says, it's not of the will of the flesh. What John's saying here is that unlike physical birth, which is all physical, it's earthly, from conception on, it's not how this happens. Two people can't get together and make a child of God. The same way that two people could get together and they could make a child. That's what John is saying here. It's not not a physical thing that that, that two people are able to get together and do. That's not how this works. This is a spiritual birth. It can only come from God. It it can't come through the biological processes that birth normally happens from. So it's it's not a matter of the flesh here. This is all of God making us children. Later, John's going to spell this out even more. This birth is a spiritual birth. And then, to emphasize that even more here, will of man could be and has been translated as the husband's desire. Again, this birth is only one that God can bring about. Just because someone in John's day may have been born a Jew does not mean that they were born a child of God. Just because their father and mother may have made them their child, that didn't make them God's child. John's saying something radical here. Our understanding of how you become a child of God, now that the Word is here. John is going to, to bring this idea of the second birth, the spiritual birth, to all who receive him, to all who believe in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. He caused them to be born again. This is not limited. This is not limited to one nation this is not limited to one genealogy. This is not limited to one group of people. This is for those who receive Jesus. At the very center of this message that John has, at the very center is one person, Jesus. Everything hinges on him. does not hinge on who you are does not hinge on where you came from doesn't hinge on what you've done or haven't done it doesn't hinge on any of that it hinges on Jesus who he is what he's capable of doing what he's willing to do and what he has done do you long to be saved by God believe in Jesus Do you long to be a child of God? Receive Jesus. That's it. So our our focus today, what we're overwhelmed by, is that we actually believe it is possible to become a child of God to belong to him, to be part of his family, with all the rights and all the inheritance that comes along with being a child of God. We actually believe that's possible. We believe it is possible that we will be given life from the one who has life in himself. We believe it is possible that we can be brought out of darkness into light. We believe it is possible that in coming out of darkness and being brought into the light, that we can be made pure and holy. That we can have the right to be with God Himself. You may struggle with guilt. You may struggle with thinking, I do not have the right to come to God Himself. And if you're looking at you, that's true. None of us have the right to come to God Himself. You may be one of those who knows your heart very well and you know the guilt that's in your heart and you know the sin that's in your heart and you feel all of that very strongly and you may, you may know I do not have the right. You may feel like I don't have the right to be around Christians. I don't have the right to come into the church because of what I've done. That's not what gives you the right to be a child of God. We can't boast in any of that. None of us can. The ones who boast that they in themselves have the right to come to God are going to be the ones who do not come. There will be many on that day who say, Lord, Lord. How do we have the right to become a child of God? Through Jesus Christ. Alone. So that brings us back to Athanasius and Arius. It is not possible for a mere created being, no matter how powerful, it is not possible for a mere created being to be able to give us the status that we claim as Christians. The status that you claim when you say, I'm a Christian, you're saying, I'm a child of the Creator. I'm His, I belong to Him. Because when we claim that status, what are we claiming? When you claim that status as a Christian, you're claiming holiness. You're claiming perfect righteousness. We're claiming that we're freed from sin. We're claiming that we have eternal life and death will not defeat us. We're claiming that we have a future that goes beyond this life. We're claiming all of those things when we claim that we are a child of God. Only one being could truly give us that right it must be God himself not a being who is like God not a being who is similar to God it can only be God himself because only God himself would have that kind of power over death over death to defeat it utterly To guarantee eternal life. Only one who has the exact same nature as God Himself would be able to give you perfect righteousness and holiness, perfect and pure righteousness so that you could be in God's presence. Only God Himself could bring you into His presence. And that's exactly what John is going to say over and over again. The Word who brings life to us was already present before creation. He was the power of God's Word that created. He was God. He was nothing less than that. Anyone who tells you that Jesus is not God himself is undercutting the promise that we have become children of God. It's not actually possible unless he is God. But then it's also not going to be possible unless he's man. The Word became flesh. Next week, we're going to look at that powerful statement. He came into the world, and he had to because it was man who sinned, wasn't it? It was man who sinned. It was man who deserved judgment. It was man who lived in darkness and under the reign of death. So if God's actually going to be just, as God claims to be, if he's going to be just, he must condemn every sin. Those of you who feel your sin strongly, those of you who feel your guilt, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. God must condemn every sin if he's actually just. So in order for those sins to truly be condemned and for justice to truly happen, it has to happen to a man. It has to happen to a human being. A human being must pay for the sins of human beings. And so the Trinity is not just some intellectual idea that's interesting. Hmm. That's fun. It, it's, not, it's not for the really serious Christians to think about compared to those who just love Jesus and want to live their lives for Jesus. And the teaching that, God, that Jesus is fully God and he's also fully man, That's not optional either. If, if you deny that or if you deny the Trinity, you're denying the foundation of the gospel itself. Arius said that Jesus was different in essence from the Father, but that simply can't be true. And we still have the right to become children of God. Look at the beautiful perfection of this. Only one being could save humanity. And in order to remain just and righteous, he can only do it one way. And he does. And that's exactly what John tells us. The Word became flesh. Paul says it too. Paul says it in Romans 3 when he says that God is both the just and the justifier of those who believe in Jesus. He's just as the Father judges humanity and condemns it for its sin. He's the justifier as the Son, who is also God, pays for the sins. So Paul Paul agrees completely with John. God is both the just and the justifier because Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. That's who Jesus is. And because of that, those who receive him have the right to become children of God. Receive him. That's why we proclaim him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much the depths of the riches of your wisdom. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to become flesh. You were willing to take on our sins. And we praise you because you were powerful. You are God. We thank you that in you we find salvation and the right to be children of God. Remind us this week when we're discouraged, when we're anxious, when we're wanting to control everything for ourselves, remind us you are God. There is no other. We praise you. Amen.